want you to look around the auditorium. Just take a few moments to take inventory of what you see as you look around this. Men and women sitting in pews, probably like they do most Sundays. You may see young children squirming because she simply can't be still. Doesn't usually have to be, at least at this time. You might hear a few children that will scream out a, little, a few times as the service goes on. You'll certainly catch some people napping or daydreaming. You can't see their daydreams, but you can tell when they've kind of entered one, right? You, you see some people who think they're fooling you because they don't, they don't think you can see that they're messing with their phones. But we all do that, and we can recognize when somebody else does. There's a few people doing that. There are some so intently focused on what we are doing here, they don't even know that you are watching them. Some sing and some don't. Some are really tired and are just trying to hang in there and being still when they're not used to it. Some wrestle with their kids and they're asking themselves, why do I even come because I have to wrestle with my kids all the time? We are remarkably unremarkable. Then you think about getting here. You went to the trouble of making your kids stay focused or your husband stay focused to get ready and you drove all that way and then you came up the hill and you probably, had to pick, you probably had to park in a different spot than you're used to. You got your normal greeting from either Terry or Randy or someone else, and you did the fist bumps as you walked through the foyer with different people as you grabbed your Lord's Supper stuff and your bulletin. And then you made your way into the auditorium. Maybe you smiled at a few people, and maybe you got frowned because we got both the early and the late here, or the regular service, and so chances are you may not have gotten your spot. The parking spot's one thing, but my pew spot's another, and that's a little bit frustrating to us. And so you might be sitting here grumbling just a little bit, at least as we started. And now we sit here through another service, and you know exactly what's going to happen. It's pretty routine. Same as the week before, as the week before that, and 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 the week before that. The singing may have been uplifting to you, but then it may not. Maybe somebody around you has kind of got a flat singing voice and sometimes we even end up sounding like we're singing in rounds I know you've been here before that for that before and, and the people in the pews are, are largely silent and they show very little emotion really they just kind of stay seated and for the most part their attention is focused up front and you listen to a, a man drone on and on and on and you prepare yourself to tell him you know you could have said all that in a shorter time as you leave that's your church experience. And, and you might know other people, you might know people here uh, in, in, a, in some ways outside the services here. Over time, you get to know each other in different capacities. We discover we have weaknesses and we have strengths. We encourage each other sometimes at the perfect times, and other times, other times we forget to encourage as we intend to. We're all busy in our lives, and sometimes... Sometimes each other gets kind of pushed out, and we express our faith imperfectly. But we'll gather here again, maybe Wednesday night, maybe next Sunday. What is this? What is the point of this that you're doing? Sitting here in a pew, unlike any other time in your life, what are we doing? And why is it so important? And why have we stressed this over the years? You need to be at church. You need to be at church. We go visit people. You need to be at church. What is it about this that is so doggone important? What's the big deal about this? That's the question, isn't it? That's what's going on here, and that's the struggle of the Christian life. 
Because the way God describes a lot of our lives doesn't look like our lives look to us. Here's a first demonstration. I want you to see this from Scripture. We've got to use Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our, bro- to our, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Next screen. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him with all speech and all knowledge, even to the testimony about Christ Jesus, confirmed among you so that you're not lacking in any gift. And as you wait for the revealing of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, That's how he describes the believers at Corinth. Saints, held guiltless by God. They are his people declaring his praises. And yet, in the next chapters, he talks about how divisive they are. They divide over everything. They find ways to divide themselves over their favorite preacher, their favorite teacher. They struggle because they want to be worldly wise, and sometimes the church doesn't appear that way. And they want the church to be more sophisticated, and they want it to be smoother, and they want the services to be more, more professional. And they're immoral sexually sometimes. They're suing each other because they can't get along. And then he reminds them, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, next screen. Don't, don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That God is living inside of you? You're not your own. You're bought at a price, so glorify God in your body. And you look at that body of people and you say, that's the temple of God? That's where God lives? And those people snoring in the service? And then there's Peter, writing to people who are Christians with checkered past. They have a lively, colorful past in sin, and they're tempted to fall back into it because they're having to pay some consequences for their faith. And here's what he says. It was read just a moment ago. Go on to the next screen, if you would. Well read a moment ago. You are a chosen race. He's saying this to people who are struggling with sin and struggling with going back to a past because they're having to pay for the Christian life. You're a chosen race. You're a holy priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's own special possession. And you proclaim the excellencies of him. As you get together and do this, you're proclaiming the excellence of God in his marvelous light, right? You used to not be a people. Now you're the people of God. You used to not have mercy. Now you have mercy. And then to the Hebrews writer, they're about to give up their faith. They're about to go back into Judaism where they came from. And he says, don't forsake the assembling, y'all. The Hebrews writer says this is so incredibly important. What we are doing now, some thousands of years later, still assembling, still being God's people in assembly. And he says, don't give it up. There's something so important about this. You cannot give it up. Why? You spur each other on. But can I tell you how he describes the actual hour of their assembly? Here's what he says. You've come to Mount Zion. When you come up the hill, you don't just come up the hill in a piece of real estate in Jonesboro, Arkansas. You are on Mount Zion. 
the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering. We sing that song, Angels in Our Presence, right? As we sing, they're right. To the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's what's happening. Here's my question. Is that happening, or is what you see happening? Sitting on a pew, wondering how I'm going to keep my attention on this stuff. Is that what's going on, or is this what's going on? Which is the real truth? Is there something beyond all this, or is this it? What is the big deal about this hour, y'all? Why are we constantly trying to get, don't you give this up? And yes, you can go online, but listen, the moment you feel comfortable and you can get out and come here, you give up that online because it's not the same. It's not the same. This is either this happening or just what you've always said to yourself. I'm going to sit through that hour. I'm going to do my time. I'm going to return to my real life. Which one of these is really what's happening? You have to decide that. Is it just a small number of people in Corinth? It's got 150,000 in Corinth, and they're so godless they make the sodomites blush. And then there's this little body of people, maybe 24, 25 in a house, and the language he uses to describe what they're doing and who they are is so lofty, and you're like, is it all that really in this one little house outnumbered by the others? Is that really cosmic? Is that really significant? And God says it is. But when you look at it, There's flawed, ordinary human beings struggling to stay still for an hour to do their time. Which is it? Peter, is he writing to a weak group of people trying to get together and pep themselves up and say, this is a whole lot more important than it appears? Or is this something incredible? They're declaring the praises of God in a way that God hears them. And then he, in turn, empowers them so that when they leave that assembly, they're able to go out and represent him in a world that's lost. Is that what's happening? Or or are we just doing our time? What is happening here, y'all? The problem is a vision issue. That old saying, it's an English saying from the 1800s. Nobody really knows where it goes on. It's there's more, there's more going on here in this room this morning than what meets the eye. Some of you see this as a gathering of people who wish things were different, and we gather to remind ourselves of some truths that we've been told. And, and God asks us to do this, so we do this. And we wonder, does it really matter all that much? The world out there seems more real. That's the world we came from. That's the world we're going to go to. And for a lot of us, it's the world we're thinking of most when we're sitting here. We're trying to clear our minds and think spiritually for a while, but we're really thinking about our plans for out there. And it feels like this becomes like this weird aberration, a weird invasion of a strange hour into our lives. We sit in pews and we sing songs. We're led in singing and prayer and we're lectured to. And then we depart to join our real lives again. Is that where the real life is? I want you to picture this. Picture in a restaurant you want. I'm going to say wings to go. 
a group of young people are going to meet at Wings to Go, and they're going to have lunch, and they all have lunch, and they have such a good time, and with the free refills, they just sit there, they just keep refilling their drinks, and they got Dr. Pepper for hours, and they sit, and they laugh, and they have a great time, and then they get up, and they leave, but in this meeting, as they're just, they're just goofing off and having a great time, wasting a few hours, not really wasting, because they're, they're, they're bonding, all of a sudden, there's a girl who looks across the table at a guy that she never looked at him that way before. He looks more interesting to her than he ever has. And, and, she, and he, at the same time, looks across the table and looks at her, and she looks suddenly different. They've known each other all their lives, but they suddenly different. And she feels like something changed while they were sitting there at that table. It wings to go, of all places. And she saves her napkin because she senses something special happened. Now they leave and nobody thinks anything of it. And years go by. Nobody thinks anything of it. Nobody, they remember that time if you, if you cause them to remember. But really it's just, it, it just one of those moments. But for her, because it sparked right there and they got married and at the 50th anniversary she brings out a napkin do you know, honey, where this napkin came from? He said, I have no idea. It looks like a regular napkin. Oh, I know it looks like a regular napkin. This was at Wings to Go. 52 years ago, there was more going on there than meets the eye. Your daughter wants to go on a shopping trip and skip a day of school, and you're like, well, you're like me. What's one day? That's what I do, one day. Because after all, now that they send computers home, you realize that in 45 minutes they can do the entire day's work at school. Isn't that unbelievable? What's the other six hours for, right? You ever wonder that? Why are we doing this? Lots of tax money for this, right? But anyway, that you, you're like, all that much goes on. And so, you, yeah, we'll just go ahead and do that. But you realize, right, just that one day, they learn a little something. A week is just one day five times. A month is just one day 22, 23 times. And you realize every day is an incremental addition and each day adds to another and adds to another. And that daily's contribution is very important to the final product. And you get the end of 12 years, and that's a totally different person. It seems like, y'all, there was nothing all that important going on that one day. But there's more than meets the eye. And I'm telling you this morning, there is more going on here than meets your eye. There is something significant, cosmically significant, about what we are doing here. You don't feel it. And if you ask me at the end of service, when exactly did that happen? I can't answer that for you. How do we get ourselves to see this more than meets the eye? And the first way is a question I'm going to ask you. Are we to trust what we think is going on here, what we see is going on here, as the sum total of what's happening? Are we going to trust God's description of what is happening here? God tells us that as we sing, we open our mouths, and we sing words that are written on a screen. As we sing those, God is receiving those as actual praise from his creatures he created. And he created us with the need to express them. 
And as we express them, we are actually entering into the presence of God to be able to tell him our gratitude for all he's done. Is that really happening, or am I just sitting back and evaluating the song leader so I could talk about at lunch whether I felt inspired or not? What is happening when you sing? Well, when I look around, half of you aren't. And so I could judge that. And as I look around, I hear myself, and I realize I probably just messed Melissa up really good. That's why she's doing this the whole time. And there might be all of us saying, well, I don't know if I'd have picked that song. That didn't really rev up the, the, the crowd or whatever. Can I tell you how it sounds to you is pretty far down the list of what we're doing here. It's really pretty far down. And yet that's how we gauge it. We put it at number one, and God says, listen, are you going to trust me or are you going to trust you? Can I tell you, I don't trust your sight. Because what I see here is a bunch of saints declaring the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his light. And we're given permission by these words to enter the very presence of God. But that's not all, right? He says not only that. But as you sing those words, you are edifying each other. And you didn't reg you, it's not registering with you right now. I get it. You don't remember. Can I ask you, do you remember the names of three songs we sung today? Song leader can. I've got his list in my pocket. I know what he did. Do you, do you remember any of the songs you sung? But God says, as you're doing that, you are... <laughs> You are edifying each other. And so while you sat there and sang, and you might have been evaluating how it sounds to you, it's edifying somebody next to you. It's doing something really important. That's not all. That's not all. Just hold your seats even more. He says, as you do that, you're declaring the, the works of God to the world. We're doing that even as we sing. Did you realize all that was going on? Now, is all that going on or not? Okay, listen. Is all that going on or am I overstating this thing? It's all going on. Wesley's right. It's all going on. I trust what God says over what I see. I trust what God says over what I hear. This is something that delights our creator, that builds each other up and declares to the world the truths about God. We're doing all that as we're singing these words. That is unbelievable. But if you look at the way it appears, it won't come across that way. Prayer. Somebody gets up here, and I know I've led prayers before, and sometimes, sometimes there was so much going on at Valley View that the prayer went three or four minutes. Melissa reminded me when I got set back down. She said, you know how long that was? Mm-hmm. Everybody else in here does too. You know what prayer is? God's given you a seat at his table, and he's given you a voice, and he says to you, why don't you help me decide what the future's going to look like? And I want to rush through and do that in one minute. He gives me the privilege of helping him shape the future, even of your life. And you're going to tell me, keep it short, preacher. Keep it short, prayer leader. Do you realize what he's doing? He's inviting you to help him shape the future. Right here in this assembly, we are changing the course of the world in prayer. Is that overstating the case? Paul, is that overstating the case? I think when I pray for this youth group 
and for them to have the strength it takes to live a faithful life every day at school, I believe something happens because we say that. What are the things not happening because we are not saying it? All the stuff we can influence. That's our prayer time. But for you, maybe, it's how long did he go? How did it sound? Or, or maybe we could go on for the sermon, but I'm not going to go on to the sermon. I'll skip that section. I'm going too long. But what about the actual assembling, the actual coming up here in person to be here? Is that moment of your presence, is that even more than just what you think it is? Or is it a Fox News spin to make it sound more exciting than what's actually going on? Because I know we can do that. You're spurring one another on. Your presence, just by me looking across the room and seeing you here, spiritually strengthens me. And your absence would then weaken me. Is that true? Oh. Is that true? If it's not true, stay home. I can worship God at home. Well, you can sort of. We'll talk about that. But what about just the greeting? How much emphasis did Paul put on the greeting? Now, they did it with a holy kiss, and I don't want your holy kiss, okay? I'm changing Scripture a little bit. Just give me a fist bump or just give me a, a high five. or that's what, that's what Marshall does. We, I do that, and then one Sunday he refused to give me a fist, fist bump, and something was wrong with that day. Something was not right when Marshall will not give me that fist bump. That night he repented. And night he repented and came right up to me and gave me the fist bump. And it was, listen, if you think that is no big deal, you're wrong. You are wrong. The greeting, the greeting, Paul says, make sure. He says to almost every church, you make sure you greet each other. You make sure you let each other know, I'm glad you're here. Whether it be looking at each other, a high five or fist bump or whatever you want to make it. I don't care what you do, but greet each other. And if you rush in and rush out and you don't greet somebody, somebody's weakened. There's more going on if we could just see it. The second thing I would say about being able to see the more is this. Don't put all the burden of responsibility on the assembly time for this. Much of what makes this more meaningful happens outside of this actual gathering. For those of you who have come here for years and you come and you sit in the pew and then you leave real quickly, can I tell you, this time can only mean so much to you. There's a ceiling for how much you can get out of this. And that's probably why it's so easy to miss. All right? So the second Sunday share that's about to start, those groups are all formed, and they're all listed out in the foyer. You can see those as you, you leave today. The thing about that, I'm going to predict this about that, okay? The more you put yourself into that effort, the more meaning this will have for you. The more you put yourself into knowing each other outside this room, the more what we do in this room matters to you. The outside the building stuff reaches inside. There are groups of people here on Sunday nights. I know some of those ladies, now they've grabbed George. They've got George now, and they've made him a victim of their group, right? And they go out and they eat every, every meeting they go out and eat. I think they don't eat at home. I don't think they have anything in their refrigerator because all they do is eat out you got other people like Danny Wallace and a group of them that they'll go out almost every Sunday night and they'll go out and eat. And they'll hang around each other. Can I tell you what's interesting? 
that group eating out after makes a difference on what they experience before that in the assembly on Sunday night. They know who's coming. They know that afterwards they're hanging out and they're going to share life together. And it makes that night's events more important to them. Because there's always somebody important here. What happens outside this affects what happens here. So I'm saying to you about this, this February challenge, and I'm getting, some, I'm getting some pushback, okay? I'll get it. I won't name anybody, but I'm just not a card giver outer. I am going to name somebody. David Kennan, what a lazy bum. He comes up to me and he says, do I have to do this? My wife can send him out for me. And I said, no, you can't. She cannot do that for you. Well, I'll just let my wife do it so they can read it. I don't care if they can read it or not. you got to write it. You men, maybe uh, it's a sexist thing to say, but maybe men are not into that. I'm asking you to do it anyway. My wife doesn't like doing those either, and she's complained all week long about having to write cards, and I'm trying to teach her way the Lord more perfectly. And so this is one of those things. I don't care whether it's your talent, and you may never get into writing the cards, but listen very carefully to the life cycle that's going to happen. You are going to make yourself sit down and say, who is it at church that I appreciate enough to send a card? And what do I appreciate about them enough? You're going to sit there and think about it for a minute. And you're going to come up with something. It's going to be easier than you think. And you're going to write it. And it's not going to be as fluent as a nice fluent sermon or a Bible class. It don't matter. You're going to express your appreciation. And you're going to send that card to them. It's going to land in their mailbox. And they're going to read it. And they're going to, I didn't know that I meant this much to somebody. And then Sunday morning, when you get together for worship, they're going to run up to you. And they're going to say, that card meant so much to me. And it's going to swell you with, I'm so grateful to have expressed that. And this worship service is going to mean more to you because you know what it means to others it's going to happen this way these activities and these booklets are not just goofy things this is to build up the body of christ when we realize what we mean to each other and we express it and suddenly you're coming to church and you've gotten two or three of these cards i have to say something about daryl hyde on this one I said, send them to somebody you're thankful, you appreciate. He said, I thought it was to send a card to people who appreciate me. So I wasn't sending any. I said, Daryl, <laughs> I do appreciate you, Daryl, but forget it. Anyway, everybody send those things out. The church of Christ is without question in the plan of God, and the language of the New Testament is so lofty the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, cherished by God, the family of God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. And yet, as you look around at the actual body of Christ that you're with, it's unremarkable, it's flawed, it's ordinary. Committed to a perfect God with a perfect message, but going to try to reach an ordinary world. And we need to understand we are old, we are young, we are extrovert, we are introvert, we are Republican, we are Democrat, we are spiritually young and spiritually mature, and every one of us prone to stumbling and grumbling. We are. The church we read about is lofty and amazing, but the church we experience is real and flawed. We have Bible classes that aren't perfect and aren't like videos, perfect million-dollar videos, right? In fact, I grew up with flannel graphs. I remember that. I've been to potlucks where I've been amazed at the amount of food, and I've been at potlucks where I had to go through McDonald's afterwards. I have been blessed by the church, and the church has disappointed me. I have blessed people in the church 
and I have disappointed people in the church, and it all makes up the whole thing. And sometimes we need to remember this. I want you to listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Our greatest need is to recapture the New Testament teaching concerning the church. If only we could see ourselves in terms of it, we would realize we're the most privileged people on earth, and there's nothing to be compared with being a Christian and a member of the mystical body of Christ. I believe the Bible's true. I believe the descriptions of what we're doing here is true. I believe the descriptions of you is true. I know that you're flawed. I know that you're aware of it. But you are a child of God, a saint in the kingdom, and you are declaring the praises of God even as we sit here and even as you live out your life. If I ever have any maturity at all in the spirit, succeed in following Christ or being like him, if I persevere at all in the pursuit of what God's called me to, it is because of the local, flawed, ordinary body of Christ. It was a small church. They're meeting, they're not meeting this morning. They're frozen in. It was a small church in Fredericktown with about 30 people in it. And I know their names still to this day. They were old people. I was the only young one. Old people, basal priest with a mason's, with a mason's buckle belt, old gray pants and boots, Albert Arms and Albert Kennedy. People long gone. Flawed. I know about their flaws. But man, were they great people, and they prayed for me as a young person. It's the local church. I've been prayed for by more people than I could ever name, and every one of them matters. And what I'm realizing when you do this, when you pray for each other, what you are fueling your life by is not just your own prayers for yourself. Do you realize that all those prayers for you by all these people who love you go into God's mind and they come out in your life and part of the strength of living your Christian life is not your prayer, it's theirs. A weird thing, a funeral a couple weeks ago, I didn't do it but I got to go to the visitation. Joy Don Brown was her name. First time I've ever experienced anything like this. I'd go to her house. She was one of those. You'd go, I'd go to her house when I was discouraged because she always pumped me up. She was this crazy woman, right? But she lived in her house all day long. She was a widow, lived in her house all day long, and she prayed a lot. You could tell it by the way she prayed. So I was there for the first time ever. I was at her house, and she said, can we pray? And, of course, I was preparing for it. She grabbed my hands, and she started praying. And this Church of Christ preacher thought, I'm about to Suffer the fires of hell. It's a woman leading me in prayer. By the way, I don't think in that context there's anything wrong with it. In fact, it's one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. And I would go by there on certain days when I was heavy-hearted, and she would continue the prayer. And it's the most beautiful prayer I've ever heard. And she says, she got done, and she said, I want you to know, I pray for you every day. I've been prayed for by some amazing people. I was going through, I'm trying to clean my office. Melissa says it's a terrible thing, and so does everybody else who knows about it, but there's this section where I've thrown cards over the years, certain cards I want to keep, and I'm going through those cards, and I can tell you there are times in life when the only way you seem to get through stuff is from the words of the saints. It's amazing. I know... Uh, Ben and Jennifer Malone got married, did their premarital counseling, didn't do the wedding, but did premarital counseling. They gave me a 501 Steakhouse gift card. I thought I lost it. I was going through those cards, and there it was. Somebody sent me an anniversary card with a $100 bill in it, and I forgot about it. 
I'm, I'm, I can't wait to dig in tomorrow, see what else I find in those old cards. What has been done for me over the years in the local church is flawed and ordinary as it is, and to hear the voices is just amazing, and that's what's made my maturity, if there is any. It's through the local church. I can sit and study and pray on my own, but there's something about coming into the presence of others when we do the same thing. Flaws and all, weaknesses and all, and we worship together, and it makes me who I am and you who you are. There's more than meets the eye in this church. There's more going on here than you can see. I hope you can learn to delight in it. This truth that we're talking about doesn't require lots of people. Right now in Mammoth Spring, this is going on in a small church, in a country church, and the same thing is happening. It doesn't require hundreds. Church in Truman, a church in Fisher, they're gathering, doing the same thing, and this is happening to all these people. This is happening around you. And you might go home and you might think, well, I didn't, I didn't feel any of that. But you know what? We are told that you, you just constantly look into the face of God through the Spirit and the truth and through our worship and take on a little more of His image every week. And so every week, just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And over time, suddenly the image of God starts to really be seen in you. But it takes the small incremental steps of a local church and its weekly worship. It's still in process. We're, made per we're being made perfect even right now as we sit here. Even this morning, you have looked into the face of God and experienced some level of transformation. You didn't feel it. You'll wonder where in the world it happened, but this morning you're taking on a little more of his image. It wasn't much, but you add it to last week's and the last week's and the last week's and the next week's, and suddenly your life starts to take on a new shape. Trust me. No, don't trust me. Trust God. That's how he designed it. That's what he's told us is going on here. Truth. Truth is what God says, even though it doesn't look that way. All this is happening right now. Aren't you glad you came? Aren't you glad you came? What would you have missed out if you didn't? there's anyone who needs to respond to the truth, the truth has been presented in the form of the Lord's Supper and the words and the prayers and the songs. Everything, you, the truth has been presented. And if you are subject to responding to it, now we're ready to receive you as we stand and as we sing.